0: right and appropriate to, to that sort of thing at this time of year. But as we are doing that, and as I, I would not doubt no few of us here, quite a few of us in fact are probably have certain goals, certain resolutions in mind for the coming months. Uh, as we're doing that, I want to just put forward a, a truism uh, for us all just to sort of consider as we're thinking about this coming year, and resolutions, and goals, and we're moving into that with, with these good intentions, all of that in mind, well, I want to share this truism with you. And it's simply this. We do not create reality. We do not create reality. We enter it. Okay? We, as finite Creatures as men and women, boys and girls. We are stepping into a world already made, into a drama very well underway. We do not create reality. We step into it. And that being the case, we need wisdom to understand something more Of this reality into which we are stepping, of this world that we are living in, of this drama that is well underway, that we are moving into, we need wisdom as to what it means to live in that. And one other thing, we need that wisdom to be true to what is. Well, I have good news, we have it. God, in His good, gracious love, has bestowed that wisdom unto us, His people. We find it here in His Word, and in particular, if you're uh, a student much of His Word, you could understand where we're about to go, and that is the book of Proverbs. Uh, Just one, just one is where we're going to go here for just a a few minutes here uh, together this morning. Uh, It is Proverbs 29, verse 18. It would take you as long to look it up as it would for you to look up at the, the screen. But if you're trying to find that in your Bible, that's fine. It's the first book to the right after the Psalms. The Psalms basically the heart of the Scriptures themselves. We are in Proverbs, Proverbs 29, verse 18. Just a quick uh, disclaimer. Uh, this is a, a text that I preached on on New Year's about 15 years ago. Uh, and it's basically a completely different sermon. Because I'm a completely different guy and you're a completely different group of people and um, it's the same text it's the same text but a very different uh, way to come at it proverbs 29 proverbs 29 verse 18 hear now god's word where there is no prophetic vision the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law That's it. We need to pray. So let's do that. Lord, I fear that even as we have read this, many of us, I know I am very prone to this. Just read a text like this and think, well, of course. Of course that's true. And of course I'm doing it. I mean, we're here in church. Uh, We're here the first Sunday of the new year, Um, of course. So from the outset, we have a confession to make and uh, a plea, a plea that you would protect our hearts from presumption. And assuming that we actually are living this out, uh, assuming we actually do understand what Solomon is getting at here. Uh, We ask indeed that you would make us truly wise, deeply so, that you would do some heart work upon all of us here over the next few minutes, and as we chew on this proverb like, like a dog with a bone, just gnawing and gnawing and gnawing, that you would cause it to yield more than we could possibly have expected. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So, as we're looking at this, as we're just thinking about the whole of the book of Proverbs, this one included, this is no exception, but the whole of the book of Proverbs, it's worth understanding that there is a relational context to the book of Proverbs. This is not just a string of to-dos and moralisms and if you do this, God will love you more and craziness like that. No, no. This is as a relational context, and I mean that in two ways. First, big picture, generally speaking, if I can put it this way, there is a covenantal context to the book of Proverbs. That is to say that God, in His grace, has initiated, moved towards us, and created a covenantal relationship, a love bond with us, His people, and the book of Proverbs has to be read in that context, in that relational, covenantal context context. Putting it another way, coming down a little bit closer, uh, more particularly in terms of a relational context, we could say there is a parental context here as well, because when you go back and look at the very beginning of the book and you read all the way through, you come to understand that this is the words of a father to his son, of instruction and invitation. To this way of living. So either way you look at it, relationally speaking, covenantally or parentally, what we this has to tell us, then as we just begin to look even at this one verse, we have to begin with this: that, that the book of Proverbs and this verse is not about our striving to attain some status. It is about living out of a status that we already have. That is already ours. If I can put it another way, the Lord, as we're even opening these words and, and, and reading them and going to study them over the next few minutes, the, the Lord is, is saying to us, My child, my son, my daughter, this is what it means to live in the world that I have created. This is what it means. To live according to the grain, according to the way things are. This is, this is what it means to live in relationship with me. My son, my daughter, my, my child. So with that, it's natural, it makes sense then that the book of Proverbs in that context, and this one in particular, we see then warnings, warnings, and promises, or we could say assurances. There is a, a necessity here in, in, in our listening, in our, in our taking heed, in our, in our hearing. Um, God's Word is vital. We're seeing that in particular in this, in, in this proverb here, the, the warning and the assurance that God's Word is, is vital... And essential, it is described in Psalm 119 as a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path elsewhere. The the word of God is said to be our very life. Again, the idea being that there is this necessity, and that's what this this text is telling us. There is a necessity to the word of God. Of God in the lives of the people of God, and therein we have to prioritize it. There is a necessity to the Word of God in the lives of the people of God, which means there, 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 with that necessity we need to prioritize it. We need to hear it, we need to heed it, we need to let it challenge us that we might be changed, that we might be transformed. And we see that just with this one verse. If you got the outline with you, if you printed it out, brought it with you, uh, there's two points, two halves of the verse, two points basically. One, a sobering warning, again in that relational context, okay? The sobering warning, and at the same time, this sweeping assurance, both within this relational context. The sweeping warning and excuse me, sobering warning and sweeping assurance. Well, let's let's look at those two halves. So let's look at the first half of the verse. Again, verse 18, where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Now we need to begin with some clarifications here. And the reason we have to begin with some clarifications is because of the way this verse is oftentimes quoted is in the old King James Version which, as good as it was for the purpose in King James's day, does not serve us very well to, in our day because language changes. And the way we hear certain words evolves over time because a language evolves over time. And this is what I mean by that. In, in, in today's world, when you hear a call for vision... This is what comes to mind. And and again, the King James goes this way, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And so when our ears hear something like that, we're thinking, oh, like New Year's, like five-year plans and strategic goals where there is no vision. There's a place for that. We have a team that's working on things like that for our church right now. There's a place for that, an appropriate place for that, individually and corporately, absolutely. That's not what this text is talking about at all, in the least. This text is talking about a prophetic vision, prophecy, Old Testament revelation being given to the, a prophet divine revelation the word of god that's what the the ESV is nailing it i think the NIV does as well in the first half of this verse when it speaks of where there being where there is no prophetic vision okay that's the first clarification the second is again the king james bless it however this is what it says where there is no vision the people perish and that's fine as long as we don't understand perish to mean Fruit, produce, vegetables that's gone bad on the stand. We need to understand it in the deepest, most sobering sense of the word, perish. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people actually the word is cast off restraint. Where where, where the people let loose, where the people run wild. That's what it means. So you see, these, these clarifications are fairly significant in terms of our understanding of what the first half of this verse is, is driving at. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. It's a terrible situation that's being described here in, in the first half of, of what Solomon is trying to convey. It's, it's a frightening punishment to be, de, to be denied the word of God, the life-giving Word of God. It is a frightening situation. That's a punishment, actually. In Amos chapter 8, he speaks of, the prophet Amos speaks not just of a famine of food, but a famine of the word as a punishment, as a discipline, because of what God's people had, had done. In 1 Samuel 3, and you can turn there with me, keeping your thumb there in Proverbs 29, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it's after Joshua and Judges and Ruth, 1 Samuel 3, the, the author is setting us up in chapter 3 verse 1 to explain some of the, the background as to what's gone wrong with the society, why Israel was the way it was, and it's setting the tone for how things were falling apart, and, and even, even within uh, Eli, the priest's own household. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. He's describing there, the author is describing this for a dire, terrible situation that has and we see it here with this proverb, an inevitable result. You see the whole of, of the verse again, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Where we are unable, unwilling to govern ourselves, we will give ourselves to our appetites, we will indulge in our desires, we will throw aside the concern and needs of others and think only of me, myself, and I, our tribe, our people, our class, our fill-in-the-blank. And, and there's a terrifying example of this in Israel's history, in fact. And you can go back and read, the, read this uh, this afternoon if you want to, from Exodus chapter 32. And the very vocabulary is, is used there. It's quite likely uh, Solomon has this incident in mind. Moses, you may remember, is there upon Mount Sinai receiving the law of the, of the Lord from the Lord. And the people are down there at the foot of the, of, of the mountain and over time they begin to worry, is Moses ever going to come back? And so what do they do? Well, literally, they... Uh, put the, can we put the verse back up on there? Literally... Verse 19, as as it says, excuse me, verse 18, as it says, they cast off restraint. They lose control. They run wild. They, they, They create this idol, this golden calf, begin to worship it, dance around it, and give themselves over publicly to the most crass of immorality, indulging themselves. They have cast off restraint, Because they've what? They've lost where there is no prophetic vision. There's an example from Israel's own history of this tragedy and how it can come about. So with all of this in mind and with the stakes involved, God then gives us this sobering warning. He gives us this sobering warning. Now what do we do with this? How do we respond to this? I want to say this very quickly before we go too quickly down this road where we often tend to go when I say, what do we do with this? How do we respond to this? Let's not go down this path being quick then to point fingers at the culture around us and say, see, told you. I mean, that's, that's, that's like, that's such, that, that's, that's such low-hanging fruit, it's already on the ground. And that doesn't help us at all. We need to come back to the relational context of the book of Proverbs. Who, chiefly so, is this word written to? Who is this for? The church. These words are for the church. Where there is no prophetic vision, this warning, the people cast off restraint. So we have to ask ourselves, where have we turned from God's word? and cast off restraint, beginning with the person in the mirror. Because that's always where it begins, with the individual. Where have I, where have you, where have we turned from God's word and cast off restraint? Or if I can put it, just turn it just a little bit. Where have we begun to come to resemble the people we are quick to condemn? Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us. The necessity of God's word, the absolute necessity of God's word, we must prioritize it in our lives. That sobering warning, again, given in this relational context. But that then takes us to the second half, the second half of the verse, second point of the message. Not just the sobering warning, but the sweeping assurance. So, let's read it in its full. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Let's think about this in two ways. First, what is the keeping of the law, and who is it that keeps it? Okay? What is the keeping of the law, and who is it that keeps it? So, the keeping of the law. First, the law, what is that? That is, when you you look at the verse and what what Solomon is doing here, there's a parallelism in the verse. What he says, what he, how he speaks of the law, he means us to understand exactly what he's just referred to in the first verse, the prophetic vision, divine revelation, God's word. Okay, so that's what he's making reference to, the word of God to the people of God in the keeping of the law. So that's what he's talking about. Keeping, another way to think about that is guarding. It's the very word that's used to describe God's posture towards us, his people, as he keeps us, as he guards us, as he protects us. Well, that's exactly what he's saying we must do in relation to his word. To keep it, to guard it, to revere it, to earnestly, or excuse me, I'll say honestly, heed and earnestly strive to adhere and follow it. And then blessed, Verse goes on to say, Blessed is the one who does this. He is, he or she is, you could say, deeply happy, or in the New Testament language of joy. Or with a joy that is runs so deep it is unshakable by circumstances. As such a person, man or woman, is to be envied and emulated. That's what the text is saying. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Okay, that's the keeping of the law. Now to the second part, who keeps it? Who ultimately is the one doing the keeping? We have to acknowledge that ultimately that's not us. That's not us. You think in terms of, turn with me to Matthew 22. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, and this is where one of two places in the Gospels where we read of Jesus being confronted by his opponents, and uh, try, they're trying to trip him up, and they want a, a summary of the whole of the law Okay, that, that, that's, that has been given. This, this prophetic vision, the law, God's Word, well, give us a summary, Jesus. What would you say? And he, he says in chapter Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend All the law and the prophets. And we have to acknowledge, my friends, we do not do that. We do not do that. Nor, as the the prophet Micah, centuries before, uh, described uh, in a a summary, a a, a similar summary in, in coming to to bring together the essence of God's moral commands to us his people Micah chapter 6 verses 6 through eight with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with ten thousands of rivers of oil shall I give my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul and what he's sort of speaking rhetorically here just ramping the ante raising the ante ramping it up as he's asking these questions so much that he gets to the point of absurdity because he knows the lord is never going to require the fruit He's she's not going to ask us to put up one of our children on an altar okay and then finally comes the question comes the answer to the question he's told you oh man what is good And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And my friends, we do not do this. We are not law keepers, we are law breakers. And yet the text says, Blessed is he who keeps the law. Do you see a problem? I see a cataclysmic problem. And we're being pointed towards that because we're being pointed towards our Savior, the one who keeps the law. Jesus, our Savior, the one who keeps the law. We see this in His life and in His mission and in the giving of His Spirit, His life. You look at Jesus, He is the incarnation of the keeping of the law of where there is prophetic vision and there is the opposite of the casting off of restraint but rather the keeping of the law jesus in his life we can look at him as our model as our example and there we have it that's what it looks like but not just that in terms of his life but in terms of his mission he's came to this earth the very thing we've been celebrating over the last several weeks. He came to this earth to, to keep the law and to die for those who failed to keep it and to give the his own record of his keeping to us who failed to keep it. And then, and then, as though that wasn't enough, we have the giving of his spirit. His Spirit, the indwelling, the empowering that we have because followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, are indwelled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of Jesus such that now truly we can keep the law in ways we never could before because we are new, new creatures in Jesus and dwelled by his spirit. And so we are in the process of being changed. We are in the process of being transformed as he makes our poor hearts more like his own. And that's good news. We have a lawkeeper. We have a lawkeeper. Christ keeps us and he keeps the law for us. And that's what impels us, then, to keep the law ourselves. That's really good news. Really, really good news. Now, how do we go about, then, a, lo- a life of law-keeping, if I can, in the sense of Proverbs 29? Of following after Jesus, of heeding his commands, uh, walking in his ways. Well, I'm just going to say it in a very simple way, because that's, wow, what a question that is. But just very simply, we have to know His word, if we're going to keep it. Right? We have to know it if we're going to keep it. And if we're going to know it, we have to be in it. We have to study it. We have to spend time with Him daily in communion with Him. There There are no shortcuts, there are no apps for this. Well, there are, but not like, you know, a direct line into your head, okay? If we're going to keep His Word, we have to know His Word. If we're going to know His Word, we have to be in His Word and in it deeply and continually and constantly because we're constantly, you know, just, goodness, sliding back and needing to go forward, that's true of us individually, but let me, let me speak to this in a, in a corporate sense as well. We need one another in this project. It's one of the reasons we have the community groups that we have in this church. We need one another in this project, and I say that for, for two reasons. One, because th- this word, his word, his commands, Genesis to the maps, is to, the treasures there are too rich to think any one of us is going to mine that on our own. It is egotistical pride to think, any for any of us, to think that we can by ourselves discern everything that God intends for us to know here on our own. We need a lot of different eyes on this. It's it's too rich. It's too rich. So we need one another, but here's the other reason we need each other. Because oftentimes, very often, we find that the, in, in the richness of what we're discovering there, it's too hard. I can't do it. I need you. You need me. We need each other. It's too rich and it's too hard for this to be a solo project. We need a body. Not just. In, so, again, we need to be in the Word, not just individually, but together. Together. As a body. Well, again, the point being the necessity of the word, that we would be people of the word, prioritizing it in our lives. Or if I can just, just put it this way to end with, with these, this, some word pictures. We are like inexperienced travelers in a foreign land in desperate need of a guide, We are like a special forces unit dropped behind the lines in desperate need of intel. We are like recovering heart patients after a brutal surgery desperately in need of physical therapy and a new diet that we might live. Do you see the commonality in all those images? Vulnerability and necessity. And that's exactly what we have in Proverbs 29, verse 18. The vulnerability and necessity as we think about the word of God and ourselves. Solomon is putting two paths before us. He's marking one with a warning and one with an assurance. And we dare not step away from this just with some foolish talk about how Our choices, our options are being limited and being hemmed in. No, this is a beautiful beacon of hope that we might be free and flourish. Entering into the reality that is. Living out this relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. There is a necessity to His Word. May we prioritize it in our lives. Can we pray? Lord, you have given us this lamp and you have given us this light. And you have described it. You have made it clear it is our life. The Word of God is our life. You are infinite and eternal and unchangeable. You are holy and wise and faithful and good in all that you do. And we, we, the recipients of this word are finite and limited and fallen and broken. We are fickle in our affections, faithless in our commitments, forgetful in what we've learned. We need a continual infusion of your word in the marrow of our souls. Oh, would you tune, change, change us deeply such that we would hunger, that our ears would ache to hear your word, that our eyes would long to see it, read it. We have an embarrassing amount of riches and of access in this time and world history, in this place, in this part of the world today. What a holy privilege we have. Oh, would you convince us of that and our need of this as we begin even this new year and mark us, make us a people marked that others would see, yes, yes, yes. That is a person of the word. Pray these things in your name, amen.